0: This is a Timmet Podcast. This podcast is part of the series On the Marge. This episode is part of the second series. Chronologically, it falls somewhere before episode 35. The title of this episode is Brisbane Brian, B&B. Brisbane Brian, B&B Brisbane Brian built a blog. Every week, thousands of people around the world visited his site to learn about his quirky travel adventures and destinations. He made enough of the online advertising to pay for his travels. And that was quite a convenient arrangement. But of course, we didn't know any of this until after Brian so mysteriously vanished. When he showed up at our walnut crescent bed and breakfast in mid-February, we knew Brian was from Australia. He was extroverted and curious, in the late twenties. He asked questions about everything, from the origin of his breakfast bagel, bullet hole bagels made fresh daily in Whitehorse, to the details of First Nations government. Hmm, answer's not so easy. He had come to Whitehorse with two objectives in mind. First, he would visit an old friend, he called him his mate, who had somehow ended up in Pharaoh in what Brian had understood to be a cheap house with an expensive woman. I explained how houses in the former company town were quite reasonably priced since the mine closure and many years of abandonment. I wasn't quite so sure about how the allegedly expensive woman fit into the Faro landscape. That didn't sound quite right somehow, but what did I know about the intricacies of the social whirl in downtown Faroe? Brian's second priority was to experience Sourdough Rendezvous, our winter festival. He wanted to participate in the chainsaw chucking and the flower packing competitions, He was also anxious to try the spouse carry and wondered if there was somewhere he could find a temporary spouse. I don't really suppose he wanted to borrow my wife Mara, but he did eye cork under the table when we discussed the single dog pull. At breakfast that first day, Monday, he laid out his schedule. He would spend all of that day visiting downtown Whitehorse just to understand what he called the exciting ambience. And Tuesday morning, he'd drive his rented vehicle to Farrow and spend Tuesday and Wednesday nights there. On Thursday, he'd come back to Whitehorse and stay with us for the weekend while he experienced rendezvous to its fullest. On Monday evening, I asked him about his day downtown. We are always curious about what tourists find interesting about Yukon. He'd started at the tourist center and then visited the main business district. At least I think it was the main business district, he said. It's kind of hard to tell, and I couldn't find another one. He'd visited the McBride Museum to gain an appreciation of the historical background. He'd climbed the Black Street Stairs to get a glimpse of Whitehorse from above. He'd walked on the Yukon River, which had made a significant impression. He'd never walked on ice before. He got his hair cut at the Yukon Man Barbershop and slipped around the corner to the combination wedding dress and used furniture store. Ah, because it was there, he explained, and he'd heard about in a podcast, although he didn't purchase either a wedding dress or any furniture. Most importantly, he had charmed some woman in a restaurant into agreeing to be his temporary spouse For the spouse carry competition on the weekend. I guess an outgoing guy with an Australian accent might be kind of hard to resist. He'd also done the brewery tour and showed me the thirst aid kit he had purchased for his mate and the expensive woman in the cheap house in Farrow. Twelve bottles of assorted types of beer in one box. I didn't really think that Farrell would be short of beer because the liquor store there was the most prosperous looking business in town. But he also had a dozen fresh bullet hole bagels, which I was sure even the expensive woman would appreciate. So on Tuesday morning, Brand set out in his rented pickup truck. He insisted on calling it a ute. I loaned him a pair of big heavy army mucklucks, and one of the house parkas that we have for under-equipped guests. He borrowed a pair of gauntlet mitts too, for photographic purposes, he explained. He was sure that others would love to see photos of him in a parka, mucklucks, and mitts in front of a cheap house in Faro. And then he vanished. Well, okay, it wasn't right then that he vanished. The RCMP constable who came around the next day said that Brian had gassed up in Carmacks. He'd left quite an impression there, with his Australian accent and loud jokes about everything. But it was right after that that he vanished. Nobody had seen him since. The friend in Farrow worried when Brian hadn't showed up by time, especially since there had been snow on that part of the Robert Campbell Highway during the day. But the highway crews hadn't noticed anything unusual, no vehicles in the ditch, and the RCMP checked further north to Dawson, in case Brian had taken the wrong road. Nothing. The friend in Farrow knew that Brian had stayed at the Walnut Crescent B&B and told the RCMP, but we had no useful info to add. There was still no news by the time Rendezvous Weekend came round. One chainsaw remained unchucked, an undetermined amount of flour remained unpacked, and some poor temporary spouse remained uncarried. The news was full of Brian's mysterious disappearance. We felt awful. It's one thing when some random person goes missing, but when it's somebody you know... Someone who has lived in your house and sat at your breakfast table. It all becomes way more personal. Brian's father arrived from Australia the Wednesday after rendezvous and came to stay at our B&B. Oh, this is where he lived in his last days, said his father a bit tearfully. I just want to be as close to him as I can. It was Thursday when they found the pickup truck. One of the HPW employees from the Grader station had just come back from a vacation outside. She hadn't been part of the initial searches along the highway right after Brian disappeared, but she knew the highway really well, having driven it several times a day over much of the last three years. At a certain point, something just didn't look right. She couldn't explain what, so she stopped her truck and looked over the edge of the embankment. She couldn't see anything definite, but still had the feeling that something was out of place. So she scrambled down the hill. There, buried in snow and hidden behind a bush, was Brian's rented pickup, jammed tightly between two trees that prevented the side doors from opening. The later investigation revealed that the truck had spun around on the highway, slid backwards down the embankment, hit a bump, and taken air to land behind the bush, where it was quickly obscured by falling snow. 45 minutes after the discovery, three HPW crews had a steel cable running from the front of the buried pickup to a highway grader above. With the highway closed, the raider took up the strain and slowly extracted the pickup from between the trees. The HPW employees shuffled forward through the deep snow to open up the truck, not looking forward to what they were about to find. The video taken by the HPW lead hand went around the world. There was Brian, more than a week's worth of beard, blinking in the late afternoon light. His parka, well, well, actually my parka, was hanging open to reveal his Yukon Brewing sweatshirt with the Beer Worth Freezing For logo on the front. He was holding an open bottle of Yukon Gold beer in one hand and a half-eaten bagel in the other. G'day, he said. Supper? As he held out the beer and bagel. So after a quick and uneventful visit to the nursing station in Carmacks, Brian was reunited with his father. They stayed around Whitehorse a few days, And Brian took his temporary spouse out for supper. He told his survival story in his online Brisbane Brian blog, supplemented by selfies and short video clips he had taken with his phone during his nine-day imprisonment in the ute in the wilds of the frigid Canadian Arctic. When he realized he was trapped in the truck, Brian had had the presence of mind to put down the side window a bit to let some air circulate. Although the truck was cold and the motor wouldn't start, Brian wasn't too badly off because he had the parka Mucklacks and mitts, and the covering of snow on the truck had provided some insulation. He had heard vehicles passing on the highway above, and had blown the horn, but to no avail. Eventually, the battery in the truck died. The beer had started to freeze, but he discovered he could warm it by putting it inside his parka, and he could thaw the bagels by stuffing them into the high tops of his mucklacks. After the first day, he had limited himself to one beer and one bagel per day, and that's what he'd survived on for more than a week beer and bagels. Having had ample time to contemplate the different types of beer in the thirst aid kit and the various varieties of bagel in his mixed dozen, Brian explained in his blog that nothing could beat Yukon gold beer with cinnamon and raisin bagels. Of course, that wasn't news to any Yukoner, but the rest of the world took note. Into the summer, it was clear that Brian had gained a cult following, kind of like the man who'd lived in a bus in Alaska while keeping a diary found after his death. We had three sets of guests at the b who came here because, well, this is where Brian stayed. I'm not sure about the sale of beer, but Yukon Brewing sweatshirts became a hot commodity on the international market. Our friend Franz made a small fortune buying them from the brewery at retail price and mailing them overseas at some exorbitant markup. And the bullet hole bagel man assured me that a week didn't go by without at least two people stopping in to ask for some of Brian's bagels. Just when the Brisbane Brian bagels and beer at the Bed and Breakfast Brew seemed to be dying down, Brian sold the movie rights to the story and everyone got excited again. I wondered if maybe I could outmaneuver Matt Damon and play myself in the movie. Maybe they'd pay me in beer and bagels. That would be okay. After all, Brisbane Brian's blog had convinced the world that beer and bagels were the only thing that one really needed to survive in the Canadian wilderness. But the beer would have to be Yukon Gold. And the bagels, cinnamon and raisin, of course. This has been a Timmet podcast in a series called On the Marge. Instrumental intro and exit are courtesy of Kate Weeks. If you would like more of these podcasts, check out the podcast website at timmet.ca slash podcasts. That's T I M m-i-t-dot-c-a-slash-podcasts.